My name's Tracy Smith. I was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. In 1998, I attended the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas. And at a promotional side event at a local coffee house, I saw a showcase featuring some of the most talented performance poets in the country. Afterwards, I returned home and founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. Now, almost 25 years later, for the sake of history, for the sake of nostalgia, and for some of the incredibly talented people we've lost along the way, I give you, dear listener, the Keizu Poetry Slamcast. This is Slam Poem. Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that never crossed into I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. No the sweet nature of the future and the reasons that we sing. In this week's Keizu Slamcast, we're back to doing things in chronological order. This was recorded in the summer of 2001. It is the first part of our first summer invitational. Poets from Kalamazoo and Ann Arbor and Detroit. And musical guest, Brooke Pridemore. <laughs> People are innately vicious creatures. I mean, we are a race of really mean animals. Now I can see by your reaction that you doubt me, so allow me to provide an example. Take, for instance, your individual sediments about a creature that makes its home in the beautiful forests and marshes of sunny Michigan. The possum is one of the most slandered creatures on Earth. Why do people hate them so? I've heard many different reasons. Everyone has their own petty excuse for hating possums. They're ugly. So is George W. Bush, and people love him. Yeah, but they got beady little eyes. So is George W. Bush. Yeah, but they, they look like they want to go for your throat any minute. So is George W. Bush. Yeah, but they use cocaine, then drink and drive. No, they don't. But George W. Bush does. <laughs> Possums are the furry little liberals of the animal kingdom. Slow moving and unostentatious, they ask very little from life, only to be left alone. And we respond by swerving at them with inefficient fuel-consuming pickup trucks and shooting at them with guns. Uncontrolled guns. Possums in... I see possums as uh, champions for underappreciated animals around the world. Fruit bats, wharf rats, alpacas, al gore, and marmots. I'll bet you've never even heard of marmots. Have you ever seen a mother possum with little baby possums hanging from a branch? It reminds me of the Clinton family, always hanging together, even when people are shooting at them. Possums even faintly resemble the baby fur seals of the Alaskan natural oil reserve tundra. Everyone gets all up in arms when a Native American goes and clubs one on the head to sell the fur to wealthy suburbanites so he can feed his family for a day. But no one gives a damn when some self-serving Texas yokel goes and smacks a possum to death with a shovel. I'm sick of the lack of respect people have for scavengers in general. Scavengers are kind of like grassroots Washington lobbyists. You know, they let everyone else have whatever the hell they want, and then they go in and scrape together a measly sustenance and clean up the waste from everyone else. Possums and dingoes and vultures are very democratic. They avoid the autocratic governor methods of vicious predators like lions, timberwolves, and Jerry Falwell. <laughs> they understand that it's important that everyone eats, including the weak and the old. Lions eat their old, just like Republicans. Now, I'm not saying you should go out and hug a possum. That kind of overt, nonpartisan behavior would only offend them further. I'm just asking for a little tolerance in favor of our forest friends. They're just trying to do their job, and they aren't asking for anything in return. 
I'm happy to be a friend of Possum's. And I hope you come to see that Possum's would be happy to be your friend too. How does an American legend grow? It sounds like this. Boom, swish, boom, boom, swish, and I heard once the sweetest milkshake in this grand pockmarked tapestry springs from a roadside rest stop in Ohio. And I think how we weave fabric of our history with yarn of milkshake and thread of electricians fixing fuses on weekends. How when we search for our heart, we find it beating in steaming Babel shop storefronts, find it crunching horizon, honey brittle on hilltops, pumping double Dutch girl chants breathing freestyle shaman cypher circling in schoolyards and we find it in a basketball bouncing at midnight boom swish boom boom swish in Claflin Kansas where Jackie Styles won't leave the gym till a thousand jump shots sail through the rim Jackie, you own that round rock, spinning it behind your back like five extra fingertips flip straight out your spine, clutching your earth like Atlas shrugging off defenders with shape-shifting shoulder fake shake. Jackie shooting down bubblegum pop rock with one arcing orange comet tail. Stop popping hail. Jackie styling in baggy shorts and sweaty sports bra, flying in high tops, eyes locked on basket like Ahab lusting fat white whale. All hail Jackie Styles shooting harpoons boom flesh boom boom flesh this ain't about ugly duck girl finding beauty as Bella the ball court toying with boys who can't guard her this ain't about Jackie throwing up three pointers instead of dinner this simpler this about athlete an object. How she makes me want to stay up all night duct taping class sets of catcher in the rye essays so I can somehow hand them back cohesive. Makes me want to hook 33 students an hour on rollicking roller coaster ride of Dickens, Morrison, Carson, McCullers. Makes me want to love my honey just a little bit harder. Bake her ziti tasting mountain mist of Sicily. I don't need a Michael Jordan comeback. Don't need Kobe Shaq who got the biggest ego. I just need this Dodge City hero skimming lane like Hydra playing the girl got game Jackie got game like a hunger a five-foot-eight forest fire burning hot blue desire charring bones blood ribcage in tribute to baby sister born with a brain that would never develop seventh grade hoop star sat little girl courtside geared her up in overalls like cool kid one strap buckled one strap hanging but on way home baby Carly stopped breathing and when they buried her, Jackie knew one thing. I'm lucky, and I ain't gonna waste it. How do you grow an American legend? Man, you go back to the gym, boom, swish, boom, boom, swish. All hell, rooftop glow seen by farmers for miles. Don't worry, that ain't vandals. That's just Jackie shooting jumpers for Carly. Boom, swish, three-pointers falling from heaven like Lucifer. Boom, swish, 16-footers brushing backboards like whispers. Boom, swish, Jackie hanging in air like a soap bubble, like a moment. How do we grow an American legend? We drink milkshakes, chant double dutch, and somewhere in high tops, a woman shoots jump shots. Boom. Swish. Mr. Jeff Kess, ladies and gentlemen, all right.
I'm spending my time gazing into the faces of strangers, waiting for the story to unfold. They serve up their history and glances and postures, pacing around taking baby steps, trying not to be seen. Trying not to notice that the wind is blowing in opposite directions tonight, clashing trails across mountaintops and parking lots, stripping the warmth from our bones while we chase sky horses racing against midnight sky. We're trying to catch a glimpse of God's people. We're looking for an explanation for this everyday world that dissolves mystery with the slightest touch. And the tale starts to spin, spiraling inward, and I'm going somewhere, nowhere fast, trying to forget the faces of strangers grinning absent out the plastic window to the world, believing in neon daylights and living for odds placed on the bookshelves of our souls between Rapunzel and the mini Bibles they give out at revival meetings, salvation in a hundred pages or less, hallelujah, let's two-step back in time to an old Peter, Paul, and Mary tune because we all lose our innocence along the way. It's how we remember it that matters. Because sometimes I feel like the black and the white of an old James Dean poster walking down Broadway, frozen in the rain forever. When there is blue camouflage across my eyes and I am awaiting the peace that passes all understanding that just flew by on the shoulder, leaving me trapped in a traffic jam three hours from home when vacation is weirder than fiction and the world's words ring crystalline streaks across our tears. It's easy to miss everyone else teetering an inch from the edge, searching for the box of clues that lead us out of confusion's fog. When things fall apart, rocking me to my knees, I am tired of trying to find God in the empty spaces because the ghosts of my failures are dancing through haunted hallways, tripping over the building blocks of childhood, and I'm caught in yesterday's reality, deconstructing my patterns while the world cries turpentine tears, dissolving the still frame of memory, and I'm searching the faces of strangers passing quickly by because we're all looking for someone to save us. I was 24, almost 25 when my grandmother died. She slipped away one cold day in December. Her face was puffy, her eyes were hollowed out, and I kept thinking to myself, my grandmother is dying. My grandmother is dying. My grandmother is gone. And I remember everything about her in stunning detail, how she was an unbelievable woman. Unbelievable because she lied like the devil. Unbelievable because she cursed like a sailor. Unbelievable because she drank like a fish. My grandmother was an unbelievable woman. And I remember all of these things as my hurt starts to swell, coupled with a loss that I'd never thought I'd feel. But then I think of the moments that I could never replace. The holes she left that I can't fill with anger. Like the fried chicken and cream corn she made for us those long nights when mama had to work late. Or that house she had on college with the big porch that we used to play on while she sat peeling apples watching the cars go by. Or how we'd laugh and laugh and laugh when she'd say, quit that sniggling. And it's the moments like these that stand out. The moments that make the bad ones insignificant. The bad moments ripped from my childhood that I swore I'd never forget because I knew my own grandmother didn't love me. And I knew it in the kisses she never gave. 
The hug she didn't bother with, the tone in her voice when she would say, who the hell do you think you are, Miss Lady? Go outside and get a switch off that tree so I can whip your ass. I knew it in the tears I cried. My grandmother did me wrong so many times, I lost count. And I wanted to hang on to that hurt, but now I can't. She left behind so much, it's only fitting that I leave a little behind too. I was 24, almost 25 when my grandmother died. But you see, she wasn't dead. Just on the inside, her face was puffy from the drugs they gave her. Her eyes were hollowed out because she couldn't comprehend anymore. She had reached that point that all old people come to when their need to survive is not greater than their will to fade away. She was flesh and bone and blood and alive. And when I looked into her eyes that cold December day, I knew she was gone, and the fight that we had fought with Alzheimer's was lost. And when she stared blankly at us and said, I don't understand you, I just don't understand. I didn't understand how I could have thought of all those times that she made me cry or threatened me with a whooping. All I knew was those days in the hot summer sun where my sister and I used to walk to Granny's house, those days were gone because my grandmother didn't remember them anymore. Or all the time she called me Miss Lady and I would wince. I long for them now, because at least then she knew my name. I was 24, almost 25 when my grandmother died. And she was an unbelievable woman. And that's what I'll remember most. Melanie Sanders. I am almost drunk enough. Not yet. Give it a minute. One, two, three, judges! Oh, look at that. Peer pressure really does work on her. She's been quick every time. Our scores are a 9.5. A 9.1, a 9.0, an 8.8, .8, and a 9.7. For Melanie Sanders, give it up if you like Mel. <clears throat> hey, we got a lot of people standing around back here, but there's empty chairs scattered throughout the place. This is kind of like a community environment. Don't be afraid to go and sit down next to somebody and say, Hi! My name's Kevin, how are you? And then just relax, chill out and watch some poetry, all right? So all you guys standing in the back, just go ahead and have a seat. Do we have a score for Melanie? After a brief time penalty, the score is 26.6. .6. A 26.6 .6 for Melanie! I have no desire to be your black token poet your only poet to fill your erasure quarter for your anthologies. Please, please, no apologies are needed. You have 26 onyx alphabets to choose from on pasty white paper, 20 consonants, six vowels, A, E, I, O, and you ask me why. I don't want to be your black token poet. America's almost ingrained in me that she did not want me or the people of my hue when I used to wake up early on Saturday mornings as an innocent child. 
She spoke to me consciously and subconsciously. She whispered to me subliminally, yeah, 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 little buddy. Bedrock is just like the burbs. There are no blacks here. The future looks bright for white Americans in cartoon land. I never saw any non-whites on the Jetsons because Rosie did all the cooking and cleaning for you. Yet in reality, USA Today states that Mexican-Americans are, quote, unquote, the fastest-growing minority population. I ask you this, is it time to write a new script? Oh, yes, my favorite show, The Super Ethnic Friends, where you had one woman, one Asian, one Native American, Shazam, hot damn, even one black man. The rest were all 20-something white males with too much testosterone in their tights. Maybe it should be called the super CEO friends since you want to be so systematic on superpowers. Well, you say, what about Fowled Albert? Hey, Badeba, Fowled Albert. Hey, hey, hey. We eating chitlins today? You mean the ba 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 Booker T. Washington show where the only commercial ran during that hour was cherry-flavored Kool-Aid? Excuse me, I mean crimson, because this is a poem. Because black kids don't fall down. That's why all band-aids look flesh. Whose flesh? The flesh of the palms of my hands, the flesh of the bottoms of my feet. When I used to play with my G.I. Joe with a kung fu grip, I want to have him look at the Confederate flag and give it a flip. Shave off his five o'clock shadow and give him a gold tee just like me. But you want me to be your minstrel, your mandane, your weed-smoking, crack-smoking, your Marion Berry poet, in English lit class, we discuss your eyes are watching God. The whole class is watching me as though I am the black messiah. My interpretation speaks for a whole generation of blacks that have been coined Generation X, not to be confused with Malcolm. Is that why when I sat in that class, I heard the Melitha Esther tomb battling through my brain cells? I am the only one. I am not your charcoal Charlie poet. And in case you ever wondered, in case you ever knew, I am just a poet, but I ain't your fucking poet, Jigaboo. After the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, we did not stop. We did not stop smelling like slaves, looking like slaves, working like slaves, hoping like slaves, praying like slaves. After the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, we did not stop. We did not stop running, running for freedom, running for justice, running from mobs, running for fear, running from fear. After the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, we did not sing. We did not sing, oh say can you see. I dream of Jeannie with the light brown hair. Camp Town races, sing this song, do-da, do-da. I wish I was in the land of cotton. After the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, we did not 
No. We could not know that we would bear strange fruit, ride the backs of panthers, sacrifice kings, make warriors of women, give birth to a dream. After the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, it did not stop. Ella Singer. This is a poem dedicated to my brother, my mother, and her mother and father. There is a question that divides you when you are made of more than one race. My friend Aria tells me they want to know what you are, Matthew. They want to see it on your face. I have my father's face. My brother looks like my mother, who some say looks nothing like me. But these narrow crowds, confined visions, will see only what they want to. And I have seen them all, double takes, looks of disbelief, asking who was that Chinese kid. That Japanese kid, that Korean kid, that brown skin boy that you've been running with. His name is James. He's my brother, and for the record, the word you're looking for is Filipino. And that's when the tension begins to mount as their questions just come on raining down. You mean your stepbrother, right? Your half-brother, same father, different mother, because none of you even look alike. Are you sure that's your brother? Are you sure that's your mother? Are you adopted, man? And this is when I remember we have always been questioned, but it was never me because I can pass. Somehow I don't know where I am. Feels like I'm seven years old again, 1983. Me and my grandmother walk into church. St. Brendan's is on the horizon. There's a pale blue pickup truck rolling by, and the laughter of all these good old boys just paints the skies with cries of, go back to your own country. My grandmother holds my hand, wanting this child to never know the remorseful strand of hope, stinging the skins of mothers of mothers who never speak their mother tongues when attempting to raise us American daughters and sons, hoping one life down the line and the next life if we can be seen as something other than other little brown brother because maybe if she was born here then maybe we belong here and yes I'm quite truly positively 100% completely entirely totally sure that yes this is my brother this is my mother this is the path of my bloodline divided behind my back into separate spaces defined races even as I tell you I was born more than only one trying to become more than what we become after the years of the slow assimilation that occurs when you hold your tongue too long, allowing the drum of ancestors to drop to the back of a fog-filled dream where the reminders are fewer and farther between war medallions, yellow photographs, Lola and Titu, Ponset and prayer. And now I must begin. And now I must begin. And now we must begin. Transcending the careless questions, cutting boundaries on the borders of this human skin. Matt Olsman. And the crowd goes wild.
This is called A Man Fell From the Sky, A Brief History. Crayfish, he shouted, a 30-foot blast from the broken wrist. This, an example of cleaved heads in the night, apart from the sorrow of the tomorrow borrowed short term from a weatherman in long sleeves who forecasted blue answers until a day sweats out the last good sex, smooth and oral, and not a tire iron from a dark corner at all. My poor asshole left in the abandoned car hotel chair for the night without pay, my wallet gone and waking with dried blood from a wig to find its Columbus Day in North Beach. Beach, San Francisco. The parade is far too loud, and my roommate is looking for more scams, drugs, and open dentist windows to climb through and find whole Chinese calligraphies full of pills. I crawl under the bed. Roaches approach my scalp to inspect the rust-scented open hole where I used to keep good sense. A man fell from the sky. Nightmare at 40,000 feet, they called it, because he happened to be in an airliner when he fell from the sky, along with 200 other passengers. Hell, the nightmare wasn't at 40,000 feet, he said. The nightmare was at five feet when I realized we were coming down in such a way that I would survive. The nightmare was to survive, but you were the only survivor. That was the nightmare. God bombs compacting at five feet, real good. She was a sex bomb at five, until you got to know her sister, who was incarcerated for sins inexcusable, until a long-range attitude is acquired on the parallel of the jail bars, which are not exactly ferns, where the young man sits with his mother's last credit card, the last quarter used up for the phone to call his therapist for another dichotomy in two more weeks at the spa, except there isn't one, just a credit card. He pretends he's waiting for a beautiful woman, looks at his watch, looks at the bartender, scowls at his napkin. He's all out of quarters and starts a tab of disgruntled looks and Heineken's. And that night he thinks of his roommate who has gone to the end of the wharf to kill himself without another scam or drug or Chinese pill, but decides to get drunk instead in another apartment with a different line of credit. The two of them thought of home, which was just another place to steal towels from, and hopped on the haiku beer horse, sobbing about the lost sleep tragedy and the film loops in their sleeping minds with the giant who wears a turtleneck, the collar so long and up that it covers the giant's ugly face, and one asks why, but the giant knows above them looming better, and beyond him is a dish tank or a kitchen or whatever last employment they've lost, washed in blood, another hip tragic movie zooming in on the corpse with sharp definition. It's a con a documentary. We all have a front row seat. He dreams of another town where good sex sleeps in the adjacent room, the suck all lapped out of it, and the holes pleasantly oozing, and the wind blows hard outside. But he's at the lap of some dumb god with a candle and well-fed, except he doesn't know why. The last of his beer dribbling down the court of his youth and an apocalyptic dentist appointment the next morning, a wall full of books he can't digest without a colon. And his father will die of cancer at just about the exact spot where the man fell from the sky who hadn't thought of buying insurance. The only survivor, he laughed about it later over tea in London under the bridge that connects the trains with the planes. The driver smoking underwear in a dream about cavalry where the Indians all go sober and rule the West. I woke with, a, woke with a fist full of bloody wig and a chin bent up to my ears, trying to laugh at the queens and the Castro, but they were not cement, which would last a lot longer. Thanks. Yeah, Matt Ernst, everybody. My mother says she figures that death owes her one. It's nine o'clock on a winter Sunday morning, and like it has every week for about 12 years now, that heralds the jangle of the phone next to my sleepy ear, 
and an hour and a half or so of long distance connecting, shrinking down the miles between mother and daughter. Her voice is early AM gravel from another late night hovering at a local hospital. I was out till one doing my grim reaper thing again, she tells me, but from the satisfied smile lurking behind her hooded words, I know it was what she would call a good death. Because a good death is her calling, discovered late in her own life, and what she does for a living is help others with their dying. She holds hands and says prayers when options and emotions have exhausted themselves, offers up hope to clustered families broken with indecision and grief, and argues down edgy doctors who won't let their patients die with dignity and wishes intact. She makes friends with the dying, and dim last hours comfortable, and sense out of the senseless, and death just a little less ominous. She answers pesky pager call after pesky pager call after pesky pager call that yank her from her family's life to attend an almost stranger's death, and sits eating bean soup and staring at infomercials when she can finally slip back home in the post-midnight hush because her mind is still taut with what most of us fear, but she finds miraculous. And after escorting two people in one night to the big sleep, the little one doesn't come so easily for her. But by morning, she is settled again, punching my numbers brightly and early to share with me her ghostly triumph of the previous night, and I listen because her cozy companionship with death always awes me a bit. And I try to siphon comfort from myself from her easy way with the way things are, and because I know she needs to hear herself say the words in the cold reality of Sunday sunlight. On this morning, the words are that she figures that death owes her one, a gentle one when it's her time to be exact. And after hearing her spin her story of the quiet magic she worked, weaving the frayed ends of another life and the dismay of another family into something comforting and calm, I figure she is right, and that death will make sure that hers is a good one. Carrie Warla. So many things that I would never know You got a smile bad poets write about I can see the stars in your eyes And I can see the moon in your Victims of this disease. We're all the lost for love, but there's none for you and me. You got a world that I could never be a part. I leave in the morning, and we're already worlds apart. What would you do if this was down to me? What could I say if I could show you to believe in me? Take my life, take on me. Giving a chance. 
would you be alone? Between us both Take a turn for the ones To see who can hate the most I'll bash your face in And you could punch me in the mouth And then we lay in bed And learn what love is all about This was down to me What could I say If I could show you to believe In me Take my life Take all of me Give it a chance What would you do If this was down to me could I say if I could show you to believe in me? Take my life, take all of me. Give him a chance. Would you be? this tuning thing out real quick here. song are on my debut CD called I'll Be the First to Toast My Rock and Soul, which is for sale at the merchandise booth. If you buy one, I might be able to afford a beer. So there's incentive right there.
the bar She's got nothing on her mind at all Nothing on her body Nothing on her body Save for a green dress And sex and sex and sex and sex And I can't help but thinking Baby, it's cold outside There's this guy I know He's absolutely certain that the world is gonna end before this time next year Cause there's something he read And he isn't that bright anyway, but he's convinced Your logic ain't gonna prove me right And I said, listen man, when was the last time God did anything you expected him to? It's another boring summer Stuck in Lodi again And I said maybe Maybe I'll drown myself In alcohol Compulsively clean, never got some place we gotta go. Like maybe we're both late from work, we both got some kind of radio thing to do. I don't know, but she just starts cleaning, and I can't get to stop that crap. And I said, baby, just leave it for the hippies. gonna have sex with him. Like maybe she's whoever more intuitive about sex, just smarter in general. I don't know. I don't know what she was trying to get at, but I got kind of pissed off and I said, listen, listen, Kate, I got two words for you. Live new girls. It's another boring summer. Stuck in Lodi again And I said maybe I'll drown myself in alcohol There's a girl at the bar She's got nothing on her mind at all and Nothing on her body Nothing on her body Save for fake breasts And sex and sex and sex and sex and I and I can't help but thinking And I can't help but thinking Baby, baby, baby It's cold All right, this is a new song. You got a picture of me up 
Klaus And another one of you from far away I don't care what you say I don't care what you say I'm young and dumb and I'm gonna get my way And I'm gonna get my own way I met a girl that looked like Elizabeth in the body and the walk And a girl that looked like Colleen in the face I laughed and shocked I couldn't believe it's a girl I barely knew And a girl I loved and later learned to hate Picture of me up close And another one of me from far away I don't care what you say I don't care what you say I'm young and dumb and I'm gonna get my way I'm gonna get my own way How many bobbly bobba doodly bop bop Shooly bop ba da bow How many bop, how many bop, how many bop How many bobbly bop bop ba da bow You've got a picture of me up close Another one of me if you far away I don't care what you say I don't care what you say I'm young and dumb and I'm gonna get my way I'm young and dumb and I'm gonna get my way I'm young and dumb and god damn it I'm gonna get my way I'm gonna get my way It's about time <laughs> said you've been acting strange these days Standing drunk and naked in the rain Hands are wrapped in tinfoil pointing heavenward Singing la 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 And I've been thinking about how much easier my life could be If I was a nut Clinically insane or something like that Like this other day at work I saw this guy getting pushed around in a wheelchair wearing a helmet And he just starts screaming whenever he felt like it The pretty intern with him didn't mind And he just I wonder what my life would be like if I could just let go If I could just let go like la 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 Only without the guitar backing me up. I was hanging out outside of Duluth, Minnesota the other day. While I was on a trip across the country trying to find the first Starbucks. 
met a man at the rest area Offered to shine my shoes for three dollars And I said okay Even though I was wearing airwalks And I said What's your name? And he said my name is Bob And I, let me tell you Let me tell you I've been thinking about moving to New York And becoming a songwriter And I said that's pretty cool I guess But the times they are a changing Bob And the answers are blowing in the wind his name. He said it was Robert Zimmerman. Little Bobby Zimmerman. And as I walked away, I said, thanks, Bob, and I hope you can make it to New York. And he said, well, Brooke, don't think twice, because it's all right. But she said, you've been acting strange these days. While hanging drunk and naked in the rain Hands are wrapped in tinfoil pointing to heaven And she says, you've been acting strange